Hey, everybody, how you doing? It is good to see you. It's good to be with you. A special welcome to you guys who are joining us from around the world online. It's always good to hear from you, and I'm glad that what's happening here is blessing your life. You know, it's an interesting time in our culture. I think in this moment in time, like any other, more than any time, at least in my lifetime, we are a culture of hype, aren't we? I mean, come on, somebody, it's new, it's better, it's breaking news, it's epic, it's all the feels, it's changed my life. I mean, we we live in a world full of hype. And and, and if we're not careful, we begin to almost doubt every, uh, anything because we've been hyped about everything. And uh, the, the one, you know, one of the big things that all of us have fallen prey to at some point in time is the hype that if you buy this, if you start doing this, that your life will change, right? I mean, have you thought about this, that if you buy this toothpaste, your life is going to be better than it's ever been? And, you know, if you, uh, it's always the latest and greatest, and it's the new and improved. I thought about bringing the table and putting up all the new and improved, and, and they would get us to pay 29 more cents because it's going to change our life a little more than the last product did, right? Come on, can somebody say Apple? Come on, Apple's, I mean, you know, in 10 years, it'll be the, you know, the iPhone 106. I don't know, but it, we, they're not selling a phone, they're selling a way of life. And what they're telling us is, is that if you have our product, your life is going to be dramatically different. Can, can I tell you why they do that? Because it works. Because it works, doesn't it? Because there's something within each one of us that is looking for some aspect of our life to get better. But the problem is most offers to us about life change are temporary at best. I want to ask you to raise your hands about how many of you either know where or even remember what your New Year's resolutions were, right? It's like, oh, that sounded great in January, but it's August and it's hot, man. I'm just trying to survive. (laughs) You know, yeah, I'm going to they're not just selling you a car, they're selling you a way of life. And again, if, they, if it didn't work, they wouldn't spend millions of dollars doing it. And so we buy the car, not just because it makes us happy, but it, it makes us think we will be happier. And it's why, and I'm one of those guys, the typical American keeps a car about 27 months. Why? Because most change that is offered to us is temporary at best. Have you, have you thought about how much change in your life is, is just behavior modification that's based upon your willpower and your will doesn't have the power that you think it has? I was scrolling through Facebook the other day, just bored because you're not supposed to do that, but I was just, and it was like, Here's all these ways that you are going to get healthy. Now, I'm not going to speak what they are because some of you may have tried them, and I don't need to offend you, but I mean, it's, it's like the message is this. Man, if you'll drink pickle juice and eat tree bark for the next 30 days, <laughs> you know what I'm, I mean? Are you noticing this? And, and, and what happens is you eat, you, know, you eat tree bark and you drink pickle juice for like 28 days and you can't stand anymore. And in the middle of the night, you get up and have a pizza and a bowl of Cap'n Crunch. And and here's the thing about this offer of your life changing, every time 
it doesn't happen, you, you begin to believe the lie that I'm always going to be this way, and you end up worse than where you started. Isn't this crazy when you start thinking about how this works? Well, Toby, why are you telling us all of this? Because in the midst of hype and in the midst of hashtag America, I want to tell you this, unequivocally, undeniably, absolutely, Jesus is the only one who offers you true, lasting life change. There is not a religion on the planet. There is not a philosophy. There is not a self-help strategy, as helpful as that might be for a time, that offers you the life change that Jesus offers. We could not get enough seats in our churches if people began to understand what Jesus was really offering. If we really began to understand that the message, the good news of Christ is that Satan knows and names you by your mistakes. Jesus knows your mistakes and he defines you by who he is. And it's the most radical, life-changing truth. And it's the only thing that will last forever. That the invitation of Jesus is not turn or burn. It is an invitation to a better way to live life. Listen to me. Then it's different than you're living right now. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've been spending a lot of time this summer reading the message translation of the Bible. In fact, I told our staff just this past week, in the past, I don't know, 14 months, I think I've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the message. I I think I've read it over 20 times, just reading it over and over and over again, just trying to get the Father's heart about that we see in the life of Jesus. And I come across passages that leap off the page in this kind of modern-day transliteration of the Bible that that I begin to see things that I think I've known but, but that are beginning deeply impressed in my heart. Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is the one that comes before Jesus. He's the white job, you know, eats bugs and has camel hair and everybody's coming out to see him. He starts baptizing people, right? And thousands are coming. And he says this, he says, I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. The real action comes next. The main character in this drama, compared to him, I'm a mere stagehand, will ignite the kingdom life within you, a fire within you, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. That you may be getting baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, to wash away your sins. Jews are dipped in the water, baptizo to dip, so that they can kind of clean off the dirt. It's temporary. Jesus is coming to, to make you something new. He's not coming to change you, uh, to simply change you. He's coming to recreate you. Jesus says, Matthew 7, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Is this not like as relevant as this morning's Dallas Morning News? It's crazy. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life is God. It's vigorous and it requires total attention. 
And then the passage that we talk about around here all the time, Matthew 11, in the message, are you tired? Anybody tired? Worn out. Burned out on religion. What is religion? Religion is due. Jesus is, do, is dead. Religion is, here's what you ought to do. Christianity is, here's what Jesus did. Are you, born, born, are you burned out on trying to do Come to me, Jesus says, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I'm not going to put anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you're going to learn how to live freely and lightly. Because Jesus offers real life change. This is an invitation Last weekend, I talked to you about how probably my favorite book in the Bible is the book of Acts because it is the story of ordinary people who give their life to Jesus the best way they know how, get filled with the Holy Spirit, and their life's never the same. But you know, in the book of Acts, it's like the, the hype of the big things can keep us from missing the power of the small things. In other words, I think like the book of Acts, the thing that gets all the headlines out of the book of Acts is really a byline. You know, Peter, the, the, the supernatural healing, Peter's got so much of the Holy Spirit that somebody gets in his shadow and they get healed. Come on, I mean, that's crazy when you think about it. And surely people want to talk about that and, and uh, the, the sense of, of uh, the church exploding and God moving in and dreams and visions, you know, and I'm not talking about like bad pizza dreams. I'm talking about like God speaking to people in visual dreams and it charts the course. I mean, we, we ought to talk about those things, but that's not the biggest deal in Acts. You know what the biggest deal in Acts is? Is how people's lives radically change. Surrendered to Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the power of Acts is that you got this guy named Peter who is always shooting off his mouth when he ought not shoot off his mouth. I mean, you remember the transfiguration in the Gospels where Jesus gets, hangs out with Moses and Elijah and all of a sudden, you know, like it's a holy moment and Peter wants to start talking about how we ought to build tents. And it's like you're always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. And P Peter's, I mean, He's the one who said, who, who, he's the only one in the Bible who the Bible says that he rebuked Jesus. Can, can I tell you it's not good to kind of try to correct God? It's really, in fact, he's the only one Jesus calls Satan. Get behind me, Satan, right? He's the one who's always writing checks with his mouth that his body can't cash. He's the one when Jesus says, hey, let me give you a word. I've just washed your feet. We're having this communion. Let me give you a word. Somebody around the table is going to betray me. And Peter goes, not me. I don't care if all these dudes leave you. I ain't doing it. And the next thing you know, it's a, it's a little teenage Jewish peasant girl who says, I think you were Jesus. And he starts three times. He says, no, it wasn't me. I mean, he's operating not out of faith. He's, he's operating out of fear. Right? And you come through the book of Acts. And Peter is one of the most courageous faith-filled people in the book. Hear me. 
If the books weren't connected, you would not think they were the same guy. I mean, you see it all through the book of Acts. I like the Peter principle in Acts 4 that, that Peter and John have been arrested. And they tell, and they try to figure out what to do with them, and they finally go, look, if you'll quit talking about Jesus, then we're not, we'll let you go. And Peter, the one who chapters before has been intimidated, says, I don't care what you do to me. I'm going to tell everybody what I've seen and heard. And you go, who are you? And I love it. It says they couldn't take their eyes off of them. Peter and John, listen to this, standing there so confident, so sure of themselves, their fascination deepened when they realized these two were laymen with no training in Scripture or formal education. They recognized them as companions of Jesus. Do you understand what this is saying? That the amazement in their confidence was they had known them when they, before the Holy Spirit. And they're like, this couldn't be the same guys. They've been with Jesus. Because when you're with Jesus, empowered by something other than your own will, your life changes. In fact, I would submit to you that it is impossible to be with Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and stay the same. Not changing your personality, but transforming your character. That whatever you want in your life to change will change with Jesus. That, is, that acts is not then, acts is now. So this gets me thinking. All of you that have been to church your whole life, and even some of you who are new to church, you nod your head and you go, yeah, that's right. Then why do we expect so little of ourselves and others when it comes to change? I mean, can we just be honest? Why isn't that the norm for us? Why is it the exception and not the rule? I will never forget, I was 12 years old. 12. Remember it like it was yesterday. My mother was here. She would even testify to it. You know, I was, I was like every Sunday school teacher's nightmare. Not just because I misbehaved, but I questioned everything. That contrarian kind of spirit. Yes, but why? Well, how do you know that, you know? And I remember sitting at the table after church on a Sunday. And there was this lady in our church who had been going to our church for 50 years. She was in her 70s. And I asked my mother... Mom, why, why is she so grumpy all the time? She's, she's, y'all ever know anybody that's sat in the same chair in the same place in your little church growing up, and they always look like they'd swallowed a pickle. Anybody have somebody like that? <laughs> and my mom said, don't be disrespectful. I said, no, honestly, Mom, why is she not happy? And here's what she said, Toby, that's just the way she is. She's always been that way. And I remember going, well, I guess nothing ever really changes. And 
I got to tell you, honestly, I think way too many of us live that way. We settle for less than God's best. And the question that before the house in the next 14 minutes and 38 seconds is what keeps us from change? Can we just like take out the church answers and, and talk honestly for a moment about why most of us change is not norm for us? Can, can we do that? Can we just be honest? I'm going to give you some. I want you to write them down and then I want you, without your, your mate or significant other looking, just check the ones that apply to you. Just be honest. Now, there's hundreds of these, right? But let me just give you the ones in my life and what I see in my life and in other people's lives. What keeps me from this, what I've just told you, that we all amen and agree is true? Well, number one, I think lots of us, we let our past determine our future. I think there's a, there's a, a preconceived ceiling in our lives that we place there because of mistakes we've made in our past. I think at some level that, most, that many of us don't want to admit, we believe that the mistakes in our past are limiting what God can or will do in the future. We feel disqualified. We feel unworthy. The universal feeling that most of us fight is shame. It's not true for Peter. <laughs> the enemy doesn't win in our past. He wins when we allow our past to determine our future. I'm wondering what lie some of us are believing right now in a deep place that it's just always going to be this way because I committed the big one whatever that is for you. That in some places, that if you really soul search for a while, you would believe, well, the gospel doesn't apply to me here because of this. That the grace of God really can't cover that. And I know, I know I've heard it all. Well, you know, I knew better. Yeah, you, yeah, you did know better. <laughs> so did I. And we did anyway. Does God's grace cover that? Is God more concerned about your future than he is about your past? Last I checked, the punishment for your past sins were paid for on the cross. So if God took care of the, your sins in the past, he's perfectly capable by his character and nature of taking care of your sins in your future. Maybe lots of us aren't changing because we're letting our past determine our future. Okay, let's just go a little deeper. Maybe the truth of the matter is we haven't changed because change isn't very comfortable. We want something that we read about in Scripture, but quite honestly, we're not willing to do what we see in scripture that brought about the change. The old preacher that said, you know, the, the work of a pastor is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Can we just admit that in our culture that we idolize comfort? 
And the fact of the matter is, my willingness to embrace uncomfortableness will determine how much a change I allow the Holy Spirit to bring into my life. Number three, maybe it's because we're just, at, at a, and I'm speaking to me now, maybe we're impatient. Maybe we're looking for a microwave process that is not a microwave process. Maybe you, maybe you can't lose 40 pounds in 20 days drinking pickle juice and eating tree bark. Like, maybe that's not healthy. Maybe God is using something to transform your character that doesn't make you comfortable and it's not happening fast enough for you. I think sometimes we, we read the Bible and because, it's, it's, because we're lit, most of us are linear people and even those of us who like history, it's like, okay, and then chapter one, this happened and chapter two happened. We think like all of this stuff was instantaneous. It wasn't. I'm telling you, I do not believe that Peter got filled with the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden, all of this stuff started happening. I think from the moment he denied Christ to the moment he ate fish with him on the beach to the moment that he got filled with the Holy Spirit to the moment that he, it finally got tested. I think it probably got tested a bunch of times it didn't get in the Bible with the big test that we just read about where he stands up and says, I don't care what you did to me. I think this is day after day, week after week, and a month after month process. And maybe there's, maybe there's something God wants to do that you can't Google the answer to. That you can't put it in the toaster and it come out in three minutes. Maybe, maybe there's something that in the waiting God wants to do in you that couldn't be done if he did it in the short amount of time you want it done in. Maybe it took you a while to walk into it and he wants it to take a while for you to walk out of it because if he rescued you, he would be enabling you. Maybe. Well, can God do something in a moment? Sure he can. He did it all in scripture. But he did a lot of things over time. And maybe, maybe we're not experiencing this kind of change because we're impatient. Oh, there's things like we try to do it ourselves. We talked a moment ago about willpower, and we try to do it in our own strength and our own willpower, and it just doesn't work. And it's not that we've given up on God. We've just given up on ourselves because we have believed the lie, the American lie, that we are a good source of our own strength. That all these little Posters that we put up, at least in my days, in these kids' classrooms aren't true. If your mind can dream it, you can achieve it. No, not really. I mean, it's as dumb as the poster in my cafeteria when I was a kid. You are what you eat. Y'all remember that? As, as I ate my pressed chicken or my fish sticks or my pizza out of, you know, you are what you eat. I hope not. Maybe there's a better source than you for the change that you really want. Maybe the most courageous thing you and I could say about the change that we're so desperate for is, 
God, I can't do it. Maybe right now, God, is your heart is thumping out of your chest because you're realizing that God loves you so much, he's allowing you to come to the end of yourself. That that's the greatest favor he could do. He's not absent, he's present in that moment. Maybe the greatest courage of the human heart really is taking one more step when you don't think you have a step left in you and hoping against all hope. Not like hoping for a bicycle, like confident expectation that God is who he said he is and he's going to do what he said he's going to do. I don't know, maybe. Maybe we don't have enough models. You know? Maybe we're not sure we can change because we haven't seen it. Real, lasting, eternal, only Jesus is the answer Life change. So can I just say to the next generation, if my generation has given you the idea that this is as good as it gets and that there's not more to learn, there's not more to grow, that God can do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we, if you haven't seen that in our lives, we have done, I want to apologize because we have done a terrible, terrible disservice to you by giving you the message that this is as good as it gets. And maybe the greatest thing we can do for the next generation, because I think I read somewhere that it's not about me. (laughs) That God might do something in me to give hope to the next generation that the Bible is true. And that Jesus is real and that change is still happening. Maybe we're never too old to change. Maybe the future of the next generation hangs in the balance of our willingness to be different. Maybe that's something that's got to change. But then I think finally, and this almost seems silly because it's so simple, but we tend to be a much more reactive than we are proactive. Have you noticed this? We don't want, I mean, there's something deep within us that doesn't want to change until we have to. I mean, I just, I've done this, I've I've been in full-time public ministry for, wow, a long, over 25 years. I just haven't met the guy who comes to me and goes, man, Tobe, my marriage is going so great. Is there a class or a counselor we could go see to just make sure it keeps going great? I've just never met the businessman, the businessman said, man, I got more money, I don't know what to do with, could you show me how to be a good steward of this that I have? I've had thousands of people say, my marriage is in the ditch, who can help me? Maybe real wisdom is changing before you have to. Maybe Paul had it right when he said, Toby's paraphrase, I have learned how to be content, but I will never be satisfied. There's places for me to grow. There's places for me to learn. There's ways for me to reach. There's still work God wants to do in my life. I, I, I will arrive when I take my last breath. And before I have to, before my situation demands it, I'm going to join God in the process of change. Now hear me. 
God does the changing. The Holy Spirit does the changing. But you have a part to play too. I know I say this a lot, but lots of you are waiting on God and God is waiting on you. But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Well, that word wait does not mean passive. When I go to a restaurant and someone's waiting on me, I don't want them, I want them to fill my glass back up. No, they don't, it doesn't happen very much anymore, but that's a whole nother. But I, you know, this is, this is the, those who are actively serving the Lord. They will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles, right? And so the question has to come, well, if, 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 the, if the heart of God is, to, is for, for there to be progress and change in my life, that I'm not going to be... I'm not going to be an angry old man because my daddy was angry and, and all the slough men are angry or fill in the blank with whatever your excuse is. I'm not going to settle for that anymore. I'm going, to, I'm going to ask God for something bigger, deeper, and richer than that. Then the question is, what part do I have to play in that? And the cool thing is, is over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to show you in the book of Acts what these people did to join God in the process of their life changing. I just don't think we need really long list. The list I'm going to give you is not all inclusive, but there are two things that I see in the book of Acts happening in the life of these people that if we begin to practice them, it will invite the presence of God and open us up for change. And it probably won't be comfortable and it won't happen overnight, but it will get you in touch with the presence of the Holy Spirit and it has the potential to change your life. Now, who wouldn't be in on that? This is what your campus guys are talking to you about. This is the commitment we made this year to this thing we call the pathway. The pathway, yeah, it is four classes, but it, it's more than that. It's a journey we're going on, a, a, a place where we make commitments to getting in, getting healthy, getting strong, and getting going. It's how we are committed to helping you experience the life change that the book of Acts talks about. And if you begin to commit to these principles, you begin to join the Holy Spirit in doing for you what he did for all of these men and women that we're going to read about in the book of Acts. I'm just asking you to do too. <laughs> well, I'm not sure that's comfortable for me, Tobe. I'm not sure that's convenient for me. Well, last I checked, it ain't about you. It's about God doing something bigger in you than you can do. But, but, but I tried that before and it didn't work. Can, can I just say that that's very familiar? I mean, I'm, I say that, like that's one of the stupidest things we say. It's like getting sick and you go to the doctor and he, 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 and he, he helps you for a little while, but then you get sick and you already went to the doctor. I'm not going to do that again. Right? Well, yeah, but man, it's kind of like I've tried, you know, this is my last resort. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I've tried everything. Somebody comes to Jesus and says, hey, my kid's sick. I spent all my money on real doctors. Can you do anything? That's, really, go read it. It's what happened. He goes, I tried, I tried all the doctors. I'm out of money. You're free. Would you do something? Jesus said, okay. Well, I'm not even sure it's possible. Could you get to the place where one who came to Jesus and said, hey, I want to believe, would you help my unbelief? 
Can I tell you that God will use you saying, I want this to be true even though it's hard for me to believe it and just join him in the process? Do you know that right now Jesus is praying for you? Did you know this? Well, what's he praying for me? Well, in John's Gospel, chapter 17, I'll just write down John 17 to go read it this week because he's going to pray for his disciples, and then it says he's going to pray for all believers, which means this is what he's praying for all of us. And the part that gets... that we talk about the most in church, which is a good thing to talk about, is he prays for unity. You want to get convicted this week about the division in our nation, go read John 17 about what Jesus is praying right now for unity. Not total agreement, not unanimity, but unity. But then he prays this at the end of that. This is interesting. Listen to what he prays at the end of John 17 as he's still praying for us as believers Father, I want, to, I want those you gave me to be with me right where I am so they can see my glory, the splendor you gave me, having loved me long before there ever was a world. Righteous Father, the world has never known you, but I have known you. And, and these disciples know that you sent me on this mission. I have made your very being known to them, who you are and what you do, and continue to make it known. Now listen to this. So that your love for me might be in them exactly as I am in them. Do you understand what Jesus is praying for you right now? That you would be so, that you would be as filled with the Father's love as he was. Can you imagine the hope, the peace, the confidence, the joy? How the majors would become minors in your life? if we got so full of God's spirit that we were convinced that God loved us as much as Jesus was convinced that his heavenly father loved him. I think everything would change. And I know based on scripture, that's what he's praying for you and for me right now that shame would be broken off of your life, that you would understand that your past does not compare to your future in him. That he's the God of the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, a thousandth chance. That his invitation is to experience a whole new life. Not an improved life a new life that this is what he wants to do so I thought we would end our time together this weekend come on out guys with I'm sure there's a place I'm supposed to say and Rob just point and I'll go that way how's that I just thought we'd end our time with the time of communion we just take a little cracker that represents his body on the cross we would drink a little cup of juice and would realize together how serious Jesus was about you experiencing the change that he promises. I would pray that today as you, as a believer, if you're a believer, you're invited to be a part of this. 
You don't have to be perfect, because if so, we wouldn't have near as many crackers if we were just using perfect people. If you're a believer, I would invite you in this moment to take this cracker, to drink this little cup of juice, and for some of you, be honest and say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And that you might be filled with the expectancy that he who began that good work in you so many years ago is going to carry this out to completion. And that God's going to do something in you that you can't do for yourself. Let's pray together. So Lord, we just open our hands and our hearts and say, your way is better. (laughs) It's not easier, but it's better. Lord, some of us in this moment want to admit that we have settled for less than your best. That our experiences have told us that it's always going to be this way. And yet, in this moment, even as we take this little cracker and drink this little cup of juice and remember the price that was paid, that your invitation is into a whole new life and that you're not done. You're still working, you're still moving. And I would pray, Father, that for many of us, this would be the moment that we would commit to join you in that process again. Against all odds, hope against hope, that you're gonna do what you said you were gonna do. Lord, I would pray for anyone that's hearing this prayer in this moment that's never surrendered their life to you. That this would be the moment they say, you know what, I accept that invitation to a different life. Lord, I give you my life. I think what you want for me is better than what I want for me. I believe, help my unbelief. Today, I give you my life. We just thank you, Lord, that uh, it's in your nearness that we experience your greatness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.